everyone. Welcome to church. I hope you've all had a nice week. Well, we had one exciting day here in WA this week, didn't we? Did anyone manage to catch a glimpse of the solar eclipse or partial solar eclipse? No one? One? Well, anyone try to look at the sun directly to <laughs> catch the eclipse like I did? It's pretty silly of me. Well, the sun and the moon get us all excited when they want to showcase their glory, isn't it? But you know what? There's something, someone who is much more glorious and much more worthy of our attention and our excitement. And he ought to be worshipped. Jesus is his name. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that the Son of God, Jesus, he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. So as we worship him today, let us be reminded of his glory. Let's be thankful for his faithfulness in sustaining us through this past week. And let's be hopeful for more grace to come from our good God. Let's stand and let's sing together.
When we come to time of the service, where as God's people we come and we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and one of the things as we read 
the scriptures as we go through the Old Testament, one of the things that we recognize very quickly is, is that it is dominated by temple laws, by the sacrificial system. And as we read through the first few books of the Old Testament, we come to the book of Exodus, talks about the temple, and then we come to the book of Leviticus, or talks about all the laws about animal sacrifices. And it is a central part of the life of Old Testament saints, where you have people bringing the animals to the priests to be sacrificed year after year. And as you do that year after year, one of the things that you would have recognized is that this priesthood, well, it's not perfect. We have to repeat this process every year. And we have this priest coming from the tribe of Levi, making the Levitical priesthood. And these priests themselves, they also need sacrifices for their own sins before they can go into the temple. And we see that these priests, they don't live forever because they're only human beings as well. They need to be replaced when they die. And so we recognize if we live in the Old Testament times, this priesthood is not perfect. And as we go through that year after year, month after month, decade after decade, what happens is that we begin to long, long for a perfect priest. A priest who is sinless, a priest who will live forever, a priest who will bring us that one sacrifice for all time that we don't have to do that anymore. That this priest will come and intercede on behalf of the people. And then this is what we read in Hebrews chapter 7. Now there have been many of those priests, the Levitical priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for Him. That priest that they long for, we have that priest in Jesus. He is a priest who lives forever, a priest who is sinless, a priest who always lives to intercede for us. And He offered the perfect sacrifice. He offered Himself. There's no need to repeatedly sacrifice animals anymore. Just a few verses down from that passage that I just read. This is what the author of Hebrews says. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of, of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when He offered Himself. He is the perfect priest who offered Himself. And in Jesus, through Jesus, animal sacrifices are done away with. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper every single week, every single time, what we are reminded of is we are reminded of this perfect priest in heaven who gave Himself for us, that perfect sacrifice we're reminded of God the Father who gave us His Son. By that one sacrifice of Jesus, those who trust in Him, we have been cleansed of our sins, declared righteous before the sight of God. And that's why we come. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every single week. 
And so this evening, as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, remember in your minds, think back to our great high priest. The time where he offered himself on the cross. But think back to our high priest who is in heaven right now, interceding for us. This is our opportunity to do that as his people. Let me say a quick prayer, and then we will take the bread and the cup together. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, who offered once and for all his own body for our sins, that because of what he has done, we no longer have to offer animals because he is the perfect sacrifice. And we also thank you that because of the resurrection of Christ, he now lives forever to intercede for us at your right hand. And so, Father, we pray that this evening as we come and partake of the Lord's Supper, of the bread and of the cup, we are reminded of this great priest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this evening, you are not a Christian, we ask that you remain seated. Please don't feel any pressure to take. But for Christians, this is our opportunity to come and remember our priest, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Let me invite the first few rows to stand to make your way forward to receive the elements, the bread and the cup. Please hold the bread and please hold the cup and we will partake of them together.
Let us come and remember our high priest who offered his body for us. Let's take together. And this is the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's drink together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has offered himself for all time. And now we can stand before you righteous. That we can approach your throne of grace with confidence because of what he has done. In Jesus' name we pray. Please stand and sing this next song with us.
help us behold you in your glory today. We're here to worship you, not just with our lips, but with our entire being. So Lord, we give you our hearts and we dedicate this time of worship to you, to the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please say hi to someone sitting beside you before you take a seat. G'day. So Anzac Day is coming up on Tuesday, a special day for all Australians and New Zealanders as we remember the Anzacs who served in World War I and those who have served in our armed forces on our behalf. Uh, before we pray together, please stand and observe a minute of silence as we remember those who have fallen. now I'd like to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for those who have served our country in the past and for those who are currently serving. We want to also pray for peace in the conflicts uh, that are raging around our world as we speak. Uh, please join me as I lead in prayer. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that in your hands is the destiny of our nation Australia and of every nation on the earth. You are the commander-in-chief of this world and Father, we are so thankful for the peace, security and freedom that we enjoy in Australia, which was won for us by those who gave their lives on the battlefields of war. We pray that their sacrifice may not be in vain and that the Anzac spirit of mateship, courage and bravery may live on in us and in those currently serving in our Army, Navy and Air Force. We pray for those who still bear the physical and mental scars and disabilities from their service. Provide for them and comfort them, Lord, with the provision and comfort that can only come from you. And we pray that the freedom which our diggers fought for may be a reality in the, all the nations upon the earth. Father, we pray for peace and for wars to cease. We pray for the Ukraine. Please bring an end to the bloodshed there. May the perpetrators of this unjust war be brought to justice. May the orphans, widows, 
and all those displaced find a safe refuge and find hope in you. May your people across the globe reach out and care for them and hasten the day, Lord, when nations shall no longer lift up sword against nation, when nations shall no longer point missile at nation, when swords will be beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning forks. Lord, please hasten the day when the lion will lie down with the lamb. And this we pray in the name of the one who showed us a better way, the one who did not raise his fist against his enemies, but who gave his life for them, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Good evening, church. My name is Toby, and I'm one of the coordinators for Team Subi. So today I'm going to be talking about, about State Youth Games and what it's about. So State Youth Games is the biggest event on the Young Adults calendar. Roughly 1,000 participants from churches all across WA come together in Bunbury to play sports for the weekend. Why we do it? It's for fellowship. It's to spend time building lasting friendships with Subi Young Adults and other young adults from the churches. It's a fantastic opportunity to share and meet new people and invite friends who currently aren't in relationship with the Lord. When it occurs is during the long weekend over the Friday to Monday, 2nd to 5th of June. And it's got one-day registration available for those who cannot do the whole weekend. So to get involved, there are two ways. You can either register if you're in the ages of 16 to 30. Come and participate in the events. We'd love to have you down. If you're above 30, we'd love to have you to volunteer. Weekends like this don't actually occur without our volunteers. Roles include umpiring, coordinating sports, um, first aid, for example. And for the church, we require prayer for a safe and fun weekend. And for the young adults community at Subi Church, that we grow in unity with one another, continue to encourage each other, and we seek and serve the Lord together. So if you need more information, please put State Youth Games in your Connect card or head along to our State Youth Games Facebook page at Subi Young Adults, should be on the screen. Um, and I believe registration is closed on the 8th of May. Um, so we'll have a quick video to show what happens during the weekend. Thanks. I'm so amazing, yeah, yeah. and the crowd goes crazy, hey, oh. who starts the show with standing nose, thunderous applause from the back row, the new sensation, take people to a high elevation, from the ceiling to the basement, bass got the ground shaking, got the crowd going apish, that's entertainment, get on up. And the crowd goes crazy. Get on up, get on up on your feet. And the crowd goes wild. Here I am, the world mistake. I'm here to, to see something so amazing. Now's the time to elevate. Ah! And the crowd goes crazy. Get on up, yeah. Get on out of your seat. And the crowd goes wild. Get on up, get on up on your feet. But to see something so amazing.
Ohio State Youth Games. So it's always uh, a fun weekend. So if you are a young adult, please do consider being part of that. Um, one of the things that we do as a church, if you haven't already uh, been here before and if you're visiting for the very first time, one of the things that we do as a church is that we memorize scripture together. So every month we do have a passage that we memorize. And this month, for the month of April, we are memorizing Lamentations chapter 3. So let's um, do that together. Let's recite Lamentations chapter 3 together. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Fantastic. Great passage to memorize, particularly when times are tough and you just want to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And that's a great passage um, to memorize. So please keep doing that as a family, as a church, as a household. Uh, and we're going to have a new one in a few weeks' time as well. This is a time as well of the service where we invite our primary school age children to head upstairs to their Subi Kids classes. If you're here for the very first time, feel free to register your uh, children, and then you can join them upstairs where they can learn more about Jesus through their kids' um, lessons. Now, on your seat, there should be a connect card that looks something like this. This is one of the ways that we connect with you to help you get connected to the church. Uh, in case you don't know someone like me, I'm Chin. I'm one of, the, one of the pastors at Subi. And if you are very new here, we want to uh, find out more about who you are, and we want to help you get connected to the church. If you want to find out more about our ministries, the different things that we run at the church, this is your way that you can do that. So you can either scan the QR code in front of you, which will bring you to an online version of that form, or you can write in a physical form as well, and then just put it in a black bucket on your way out. And one of the things that we always encourage uh, those of us who are part of Subi Church to do is to take up offering. And one of the uh, things that we do now is to do it online. If you haven't already set up an online giving, if you like to give physically, you can as well. So there are envelopes you can pick up on your way out on your left, and you can put it into the box that's labeled offering there. Let me say a quick prayer for um, our offering. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all the wonderful blessings you have given us through all the material blessings here in Perth. And we do ask and pray, more importantly, that as we receive that great salvation through Christ, that blessing of salvation, may we as your people worship you in this way through our giving. And we do pray and ask that these will be used for your glory, for your gospel work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, a few quick announcements about what's happening in the life of the church, upcoming events. So one of the things that we've been promoting over the last few weeks is these two courses, Christianity Explained and Simply Christianity. Um, this is something that we want to introduce people to who Christ is. So if there's someone in your life or in your workplace that, uh, that is keen to find out more about Jesus, these are great courses to invite them to. So Simply Christianity is happening on Sunday afternoons, starting from 12.15 on the 30th of April. That will go for um, four sessions. Lunch will be provided. Or if they come make Sundays, you can bring them on Tuesday evenings. Christianity Explored from the 2nd of May to the 30th of May. Dinner will be provided as well from 7.15 to 8.45 p.m. Great opportunity to invite people in your life, pray for them, so that they can get to know more about this Jesus. 
with the same theme, what's coming up as well is that we will have a weekend dedicated to talking about missions. So we will have a missions weekend on the 6th and 7th of May. This is a weekend where we want to highlight our missionaries that we support, mission organizations that our church supports as well. And we will have a guest speaker for that weekend, Andrew Wong. And Andrew Wong is part of OMF, uh, Overseas Missionary uh, Fellowship. And there will be ways where we will be sharing with you how you can get involved in mission work uh, that weekend. So please pray from now on until that weekend where you can ask God to challenge you, to convict you how you can get involved in mission work. And then finally, we have a book club that is going on for the min women's ministry. And um, they are starting up a few book clubs, and they are planning to read and discuss a book by Jen Wilkin called Women of the Word over five uh, weeks. They are planning to do that uh, from the week beginning, 15th of May. Books will be provided free of charge for those who are interested, so please sign up. Debbie will be leading one, or she'll be organizing that with you. So that's the five for five weeks, beginning the 15th of May. So if you are interested, sign up on your Connect card. And let us know the day that you prefer, and she, Debbie will be in touch with you um, after that. That's all for me. Let me invite Ivan up for the Bible reading. Good evening, church. This week's uh, Bible readings are taken from the books of Genesis and Daniel. From Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. From Daniel chapter 7, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the word of God. Good evening, church. It's great to see you this evening. My name's David, if I haven't met you before. Uh, what TV show do you think was voted the best TV show of the 21st century so far? Have a think to yourself. Uh, this is a, there's a lot of polls out there, but this is according to an Apple News poll. Uh, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you the top three in no particular order. See if you uh, agree with this. Doctor Who, 
Game of Thrones and Stranger Things. Now, what I want you to do is actually, I want you to get your mobile phones out. Yep, everyone get your phones out. When I was growing, a few years ago, you weren't allowed to have phones in church, but we really encourage it. So what I want you to do is scan the barcode, or if that barcode doesn't work, you can go to slido.com and put in that number. It will work. And I want you to give me your answer. So that will take you to a little uh, uh, quiz. So we can put on the, uh, the next screen. So scan that barcode, and we're going to see what you think. So you, once you've scanned that in, you should, yeah, once you scan that in, you should, oh, okay, we're getting the answers. See, look, this is, this is live. This is real time. So keep, keep putting your answers in. I want to see what you think. It's not actually what your favorite is. What you think was voted number one. All right, okay. So Game of Thrones, 54%. Stranger Things, 26 Oh, okay, we've got 50 people. Oh, we've got a lot of people doing it. That's great. Oh, nice little music. Uh, in the background. So I think, all right, a couple more. We'll see if any, all right, it's still going up. We'll wait for a little while. Okay, there's a bit, there's a bit of uh, movement down below, but it does look like Game of Thrones has won. So you thought Game of Thrones was voted number one, and the answer is, so we'll just slide that back away. Put my slides back on. Yes, that was the answer, Game of Thrones. Now, uh, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones went for eight seasons, and the average uh, audience uh, for the last season per episode was 44 million people per episode. Now, I didn't watch the series, but I did watch uh, an edited version of the eight seasons, with all the violence and the sex removed, it went for about five minutes. Uh, it wasn't a bad five minutes, but uh, now, the show is about a medieval fantasy world where families compete for control of this iron throne of the seven kingdoms. That's a very cool throne. I'd like one in my office. But... Uh, why was the show so popular? I think because the storyline was endlessly intriguing. Who is going to sit on the throne and rule all the kingdoms? And just when you thought you knew who it was, what happened? They got killed, didn't they? Yeah. Now, Game of Thrones is fantasy. Did you know that? Yeah, all right, so sorry, sorry if I've spoiled that for anyone. But Game of Thrones is fantasy. But in the Word of God is the true story of the king who is the king of kings. Amen? It's the true story. God promises King David, that the King David of Israel, that one of his sons will sit on God's throne, on David's throne, which is God's throne, they will sit on that throne forever. And they will rule not, not only Israel, they will rule all the nations for all time. And every person on the planet will submit to this king. Uh, now, the Jews had certain expectations of who this king would be. 
But when the king stood right in front of them, they totally missed it. Today, we're looking at part of the word of God that is key to revealing who this king is. It's the Old Testament chapter that Jesus and his apostles refer to most often. It's that, it's that important. Can anyone tell me what is the Old Testament chapter referred to most often in the New Testament? The answer is Psalm 110. Psalm 110. So it was written a thousand years before Christ was born. And this is the psalm in the original Hebrew. This psalm, as we're going to see, is a cornerstone of Christian theology. It is pivotal in helping us to understand who Christ is. But the key to understanding it is the resurrection. No one could comprehend this psalm for a thousand years until Jesus rose from the dead. Why is Jesus' resurrection the key? And what do we learn about Christ from this psalm? So that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. Uh, we're taking a break from our uh, series in Romans just during the school holidays, and we'll resume that next week. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read this psalm, but we're going to read from the English version, if that's okay with you, because my Hebrew is not as good as yours, uh, and uh, I think that might make it easier for us. Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way and so he will lift his head high. Please be seated. So the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Whenever you see Lord in capitals in the Old Testament, it refers to God's name, Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord in the Old Testament not in capitals, it refers to Adonai, which means master, ruler, which can be used of God as master, ruler, or can be used of human masters and rulers. So King David is here saying, Yahweh says to my ruler, sit at my right hand. Remember, this is a psalm of David. King David's ruler is going to sit at God's right hand. But who could be David's ruler? Because David is the king of Israel. David started the dynasty of the kings of Israel. He was number one, and every king that came after him sat on his throne. Every king was a son of David. So who is this ruler of King David who will sit at God's right hand? 
Well, no one, no one knew. Uh, the Jew, remember, Jesus questions the Jewish leaders about this. He says, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? You see, if King David is greater than all his sons, how can a son of David be David's ruler? And we don't find out until after the resurrection. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, to be God's right-hand man means that you're given executive power and authority to rule God's creation. The ruler's enemies will be defeated and they will lie down before the king's throne as if they are a mere footstool. Verse 2, The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. So a scepter is one of those kind of old-fashioned staffs with ornaments on it uh, to symbolize uh, for kings and queens, that they, are, they have power. Uh, Zion there is the hill that Jerusalem is built on. So the king's rule is going to begin in Jerusalem, but it's going to extend beyond Israel. It's going to, he's going to rule over all his allies and ultimately over all his enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of on your day of battle, arrayed in holy garments. That holy garments uh, will have significance a little bit later. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. Dew from the morning's womb is a beautiful picture. It's a picture of uh, fresh energy. The king's followers are keen volunteers. They are not reluctant conscripts, right? Like the Russian troops reluctantly going to fight in the Ukraine for their leader, Putin. No, these volunteers are very different. These people have hearts that are fully for the king. And so whatever sufferings they are called on to endure, and however the battle goes, their willingness to serve the king is never going to be in doubt. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. God always tells the truth. He doesn't have to say, I swear on my mother's grave or I swear on the Bible, right? God doesn't have to do that to convince you that he's telling the truth because he's always telling the truth. But here, he swears an oath in order to give even more assurance that what he says is going to happen. But they had to wait a thousand years for that to happen. He says, you are a priest forever. A priest in the Old Testament was an intermediary between God and man, as we heard from Pastor Chin. The, the priests offered sacrifices to God, and they taught the word of God to the people. The high priest was, was top dog. He was the, one, the only one allowed into God's presence. But they came and went. They, they came and then they died. There were 83 high priests in Israel's history. But the one to come, the one that God has promised, is going to be a priest forever. He's going to be our intermediary forever. And you may have heard this strange name. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Not Mel Gibson, but Melchizedek. 
It's a strange name, isn't it, Melchizedek, for a start? Anyone named their kid Melchizedek recently? No, not, a, not in the top ten in Australia. Uh, Melchizedek is a strange figure. His only appearance in the Bible storyline is these three short verses which we heard in the book of Genesis. He's very mysterious. Uh, in Genesis, this is what we heard. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. So Melchizedek comes out of nowhere, out of left field. He disappears just as quickly, and then he kind of leaves without a trace. We don't, have, we don't see any trace of him again. We don't get told much about him. He's the king of righteousness. That's what his name means. And he's the king of Salem, which possibly could be Jerusalem. And he's also a priest of God Most High. So he's a king and he's a priest. And he was the only king and priest in the Old Testament. Because you remember, if you were a priest of Israel, uh, if you were a priest, you had to come from a particular tribe. The tribe of what? Levi. If you were a king, you had came from a different tribe, a tribe of Judah. So you couldn't be both a priest and a king. But this priest is both. So according to Psalm 110... The ruler who is going to be sitting at the right hand of God turns out not just to be a king, but he turns out to be a priest, somehow modelled on this strange figure of Melchizedek. What's it all about? No wonder they were scratching their heads for a thousand years. We don't find out until after Jesus' resurrection. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. So the Lord is going to be at the king's right hand. He is going to win the battle for the king. And the king will lift his head high, which in ancient military language means this king is going to win, and he's going to win big. He will stop and he'll drink without fear because he is the victor and he knows he's going to be. And he, he shatters his enemies and he will not relent until every one of his foes submits to him. So that's the psalm. And the psalm is left dangling, unresolved. Who is David's son that is greater than David and will sit at God's right hand? What, what has Melchizedek got to do with anything? And why is the king also a priest? These questions remained unanswered for a, th a thousand years and then Jesus rose from the dead and it all made sense. Let me show you. So after Jesus' resurrection, uh, the apostle Peter gets up and he addresses a large crowd, a crowd of about 3,000 at Pentecost and he says this, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So Peter is... Uh, uh, this is the climax of Peter's speech about the significance of the resurrection and he uses Psalm 110 to make his point. Jesus is King David's ruler 
Because while David is dead and buried, Jesus, who is born in the line of David, Jesus' body was not, it did not see decay. He was not abandoned to the grave. Jesus conquered death and therefore he reigns forever. That's why Jesus is both the son of David and also he is David's Lord. Jesus rises from the clouds. He ascends into, uh, into the clouds to symbolize, that, to symbolize that he rules over all the world. He's not just king over Israel. He's king over all the nations. He's king over... Uh, uh, he's given authority over all uh, power. Uh, he's enthroned over every power, spiritual, physical. He is a Lord of heaven and earth. Now, during Jesus' trial, before his crucifixion, the high priest asked him this question. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is saying to the Jewish leaders that he's about to demonstrate that he is David's ruler of Psalm 110 seated at God's right hand, which we know now was happened because of the resurrection, but which the Jewish leaders did not, of course, anticipate. But Jesus is saying more than this, though, isn't he? He's saying he will soon demonstrate that he is this son of man who will come on the clouds of heaven, receiving all glory and power. What does he mean? The Son of Man comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel, which we had read earlier, also written hundreds of years before Christ came. Jesus is claiming that he is this Son of Man. Just to remind you, this is what the, uh, the Daniel 7 said. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus is claiming to the Jewish leaders, that's him. And the Jewish leaders deemed that he was blaspheming for saying that he, a mere man, would be this figure in Daniel 7. But it becomes a reality three days later after the resurrection. See, Jesus is one like a son of man. He is human, but he also has a heavenly origin and a heavenly destination. And as a result of his resurrection, what does he do? He comes in the clouds to God to sit at God's right hand. And one day he will return in the clouds to judge Jesus is that king. He is David's ruler and he is the one that rules. He's the one that's given all authority and all power. Now, as we've seen in Psalm 110, the king also needs to be a priest. Now, why is that? Priests don't have a good name these days. Uh, why does Jesus have to be a priest? Well, for the answer, we turn to the book of Hebrews. Dan, uh, Hebrews 7.11 says this, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, 
not in the order of Aaron. Uh, The Levitical priesthood with its endless animal sacrifices could not make people right with God, right? It couldn't couldn't deal with sin, and so there had to be a change in the priesthood. And that's where this strange figure of Melchizedek comes in. Melchizedek is in the scriptures to point to how Jesus can be the priest that we need, how Jesus can be the priest that can get the job done. You'll notice that in the scriptures, there's no information given about Melchizedek's birth or his death. And that's deliberate because in one sense, therefore, the Hebrews, the author of the writer of Hebrews says, Melchizedek is without genealogy. He's without beginning or end of life because it's not actually written there. This is true of Christ in an absolute sense. Christ is without beginning or end. He is God in the flesh. He is the resurrected one, which means he's the intermediary between us and God who can actually get the job done. He continues, he says, For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus' life is indestructible, demonstrated by him rising from the dead. And this indestructible life means that Jesus can be our priest. He can His priesthood is eternal. And his priesthood needs to be eternal for us to be saved. The writer goes on, he explains why. He says, because Jesus Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The power of Jesus' indestructible life means that he can endlessly intercede as a priest for us. What does that mean? It means that he is standing in the gap for you and for me. Jesus is praying in heaven the way that he prayed on earth. He's praying that his disciples would persevere. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for me that we would persevere in the faith until the end. He's praying that we would get to the finish line, that you would get to the finish line. He's praying for us that when we're tested, that we would not give up. He's presenting to the Father those spiritual needs that we didn't even know we needed. He's doing that right now for you. He prays for our protection against the enemies and our enemies and dangers that threaten us, that you're not even conscious of. Jesus is standing in the gap for you right now. Jesus' prayers cover everything that would make sure that you receive the final salvation that Jesus has secured for you through his death and resurrection. And he can do that only because he is our eternal intermediary. He's our eternal priest. Day after day, Jesus... uh, 
Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. You see again the echoes of Psalm 110, which weaves its way through all these passages. Jesus did what no priest was ever allowed to do. And what was that? Sit down. In the Old Testament tabernacle where the priests offered their sacrifices, there was actually nowhere to sit. Why? Because the priest's job was never done. It was never finished. It was never completed. There were always sins to be dealt with. There were always animal sacrifices to give. But Jesus sat down in the presence of God because his death and resurrection was a finished work. He had done it. He has clothed us in holy garments like Psalm 110 says. He paid for sins once and for all. So he sat down. It's Jesus as the priest who has the victory. If you thought who would win out of a king and a priest, you'd probably think the king, right? Who's going to win the battle for us? You'd think, well, the king will do that. But it was the priest who won salvation for us. Jesus is victorious over the enemies of sin and evil, not through the force of his armies, but through his priestly act of offering himself as a sacrifice to God the Father and rising from the dead as his sacrifice is accepted. See, Jesus is not victorious by the sword. He's victorious by his priestly death and resurrection. That's why we need Jesus to be our priest. And Jesus' death and resurrection is the way that Jesus became the king. The death and resurrection of Jesus is his, it's his coronation. The suffering servant became the king as he's exalted to the right hand of God through his resurrection. And Jesus' kingdom has been expanding ever since as the gospel goes across the nations. And when the gospel has reached God's elect, all of God's elect, Jesus will return in the clouds and he will judge the nations and his enemies will be made a footstool. Adam, the first man, he was given the role of, what was, it, what was his role? He was given the role of representing God and ruling. Uh, he was like, a, he mediated the rule of heaven on earth. He was like the prototype priest king. But Adam failed. Israel was given the role to be a priestly a kingdom of priests, but Israel failed. Jesus faithfully carries out his obligations of being priest and king. He is the perfect priest king. All right, someone says, hey, what was the talk about tonight? Jesus is my perfect priest king. Psalm 110 talked about it a thousand years before Christ. No one knew what it meant, but after Jesus' resurrection, it became a reality. I want to finish with this verse. Uh, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2, he says, You, you church, you are a royal priesthood. See those very similar language. 
Christ has restored to you and me our original calling to be a representative of God, a representative of God, and to serve God. That's we, we, we've been uh, restored to that original calling, and because we've been saved by our faithful priest king. Because he's clothed us in holy garments, he's clothed us in his righteousness so that God now looks at you with the same love and affection that he looks at his own son. Because of that, let us be like the followers described in Psalm 110. Remember how they were described? They were not reluctant conscripts. They they were people whose hearts have been deeply changed by what Christ has done. So come what may, whatever sufferings you may be called on to endure... However the battle goes, our willingness to serve our king will never be in doubt. That is the only proper response to Jesus, the perfect priest king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just marvel at the Bible storyline which fits together and all these shadows in the Old Testament become a reality in the New And uh, some of these stories just seem very strange, but Lord, in the, we see that they all find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that he is our perfect priest king. Thank you that he won the victory as priest through his death and resurrection. We know that the risen king is the reigning king. One day he will be the returning king to judge. And Lord, we want to live for you with all that we have. We don't want to be reluctant conscripts. But we want to to serve you with all that we have. And I just pray for for each person here. Pray for myself. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we we would meditate on this psalm. We would see its significance. And we would... Give our lives for this perfect priest king in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.
If anyone would like some prayer, you'd like to talk to someone, there'll be leaders down the front that would be very happy to do that with you. Let me finish with a blessing. May the power of Jesus' indestructible life live in each of you this week as you tackle your week. Lord, thank you for your strength. Please give us hope. May we live in your hope this week and in the power of your indestructible life. In Jesus' name, amen.